I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. <laughs> and this is Fish Jelly. Mm, yes. How are you? Oh my God. My head, my head's spinning, but I'm good. How are you? Okay. It's been a very busy week. Yeah. Yeah. Nick is a part of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, also known as LAFCA. Yes. There's nothing funny about it, though. No. No, no you won't LAFCA your way to the bank. <laughs> And you spent the entire day today voting. Circa 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., yes. Uh, but we have a list of winners of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards. Mm -hmm. There will be a ceremony. In January, yep, where these people will most likely show up. Yeah, so that's cool. And I might get to go. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I could certainly go. You can go, yeah. yeah. I just have to uh, pay for you to go. Which is crazy that they would... You would think they'd want me there, but <laughs> who who wouldn't want me there? You're so right. Oh my yes. god, the, uh, I've been quoting "Got to Be Real" all week, mm -hmm. but because I've been rewatching it, the web series on YouTube, and Iggy Azalea makes an appearance on one of the episodes, and she goes, "Well, I don't know who wouldn't have a problem with me." <laughs> well, but yeah, you would think they'd want to add a little shine to their little ceremony, but whatever. I'll 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 gladly buy a ticket anyhow we're gonna go through the winners and get your reactions right just what but, i want to do talk more about these movies well i'll zip through it i'll zip through it uh-huh best picture went to the zone of interest yes which i'm i'm happy for the runner-up was oppenheimer uh, yeah which um, i'm surprised by because i could name 7-eleven better movies than that well <laughs> same i agree with you but uh you you know it i, I think the group is I don't know how many people there are exactly. Maybe 60. There's not a lot of people in, the, in these film critics groups. New York might have even less, actually. Um, but you you have to understand that a lot of these people are much older than I am. I'm certainly skewed on the younger side uh, of the voting body. Well, we don't want to cast aspersions on these people. No, but you know, I, there's definitely a, a sense of a lot of people like kind of old-fashioned stuff best director went to jonathan glazer for the zone of interest mm -hmm. fitting i guess that the best picture also has the same best director runner-up was yorgos lanthimos for poor things yorgos mm -hmm. best documentary went to menu piss wait is that the, the director the, or the movie that's the new frederick wisen oh how frederick do you say wisen. that menu placier uh lace trose <laughs> I tore that up. Twagua or something. Sorry like to this that. man. <laughs> Best screenplay went to Andrew Hike. Yep, for uh, All of Us Strangers. Mm -hmm. I thought that was an excellent movie. Yes. Runner up, Sammy Birch from May December. Also very happy with that. You're part of a special panel. Mm hmm. Uh, how many members are there? I, I think just four. So the four of you. This year at least. But I've been, I've been on this panel since I've been part of the group oh. uh, for three years. Yeah. So the four of you selected uh, the winner for the Douglas Edwards experimental film. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean? Who's Douglas Edwards? Uh, he was a, I, th I believe he was an inaugural member of the group, but he was also uh, an, a notable programmer. And this is back in the day uh, because one of the other uh, members of the group always does a speech about who this person was, which, oh. is, which is helpful. But, you know, back in the day really had to do a lot of uh, hoofing to get prints of 
films because there was just not an availability for that. But oh, uh, from sure. what I know, he was a very passionate man uh, about the craft. So it's fitting that uh, I believe it's the only award in his uh, name. Oh, well, you all awarded Wang Bing's youth. Wang Bing. Mm-hmm. Wang Bing's youth spring. Yes. The spring is the parenthetical. It's the first part of a, a trilogy from Wang Bing, and it's only three and a half hours, which is really only un- <laughs> what it, that's. He's got like eight to ten hour films. We talked about Dead Souls, which I watched this year uh, from 2018. What is the what is it about? It is about a group, uh, like several different group, uh, groups of uh, laborers in this small town outside of Shanghai. And uh, the the title is actually kind of a, a bit of cruelty because it's really showing all these people's youth being wasted. Uh, but it's the first part of a, a theme trilogy, which I think he's done filming uh, with now. But uh, I saw this at Cannes because it premiered in competition. And there were two documentaries in Cannes this year, uh, which is the first time in uh, at least 12 to 15 years that that's happened. But uh, it it's... Uh, compelling. I, I'm glad that that's that was my top choice for awarding. So Lafka does something different. They started this recently, which I really like, is that now they don't have gendered acting categories. Instead, they do two winners for best lead performance and two winners for best supporting mm-hmm. performance. And I like that. And this year, uh, it was all women. All of the awards went to cis women, yep. as far as I know. Uh, as far as I know as well. Mm-hmm. So for best lead performance, the winners are Sandra Hewler. Mm-hmm. And she's been given this award for two films, Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest. Mm-hmm. And the second winner is Emma Stone for Poor Things. You know, what's nice about that is both of Hewler's films was premiered in competition at Cannes. And because of the uh, jury rules... Uh, Anatomy won the Palme d'Or, the top prize, and Zone of Interest won the second prize. But when, oh, the, when that happens, uh, you the jury's not allowed to give out other awards. So, oh, Sa- so more people can get right. But but that kind of means like Sandra Hewler gave these two great diametrically opposed uh, performances. performances that she's not on paper as being awarded for, which you know. She might, you know, if they hadn't won those other bigger prizes, she probably would have been awarded. The runners up for this category were men Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Performance the winners are Rachel McAdams for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, mm-hmm. and Devine Joy Randolph. You know, I, I was, it came, I think we've been saying her name. Is it Davine? Davy? Oh. Well, I would have said divine. That's how we've been saying. <laughs> but I thought. But then I thought you said it was divine. But now you're saying it's Davine. I'd have to. I don't remember what they said, but whatever the pronunciation was. Well, I certainly don't want to mispronounce her name. But Divine Joy Randolph uh, mm-hmm. won for her performance in the Holdovers. Mm-hmm. I thought she was lovely in that. She film. was. Mm-hmm. The runners-up were Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon and Ryan Gosling for Barbie. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know about that, but... Yeah, well, let's... Yep. Best Animation went to The Boy and the Heron, which we reviewed recently. Yes, we did. Well, yeah. you didn't watch it, but... No, yeah. I didn't see it. Uh, <laughs> I think that was number one at the... Is it either the box office or specialty box office, too? Oh, nice. I mean, yeah. Well, I would think Godzilla Minus One is number one at the box office. Uh, I, well, again... I don't know. I, 
I don't keep up with what people are doing. Uh, the award for best editing went to Laurent Senecal for Anatomy of a Fall. Mm-hmm. I still need to watch that. Yeah, you'll like it. Best production design went to Sarah Greenwood for Barbie. Mm-hmm. I, I I could see that. Best music slash score went to Michael Levi for The Zone of Interest. Didn't I say in our review that this better win something mm-hmm. for sound? So this, I, I like this one. The runner up was uh, Mark Ronson and Andrew White for Barbie. I I don't know. Uh, I, there's a lot of love out there for Barbie. What, you know, this is a critics group that uh, where that was in contention. So uh, guess what the Oscars is going to feel like this year? Well, I would have chosen Oppenheimer before Barbie or Godzilla minus one before mm-hmm. Barbie. Best Cinematography, the award went or goes to Robbie Ryan for Poor Things. Mm-hmm. That movie is beautiful. Yes. And then uh, a runner-up, the runner-up is Rodrigo Prieto, who did Killers of the Flower Moon and Barbie. Yes. Which, I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, but yeah, both in the same year. <laughs> Lastly, Lafka is giving the Career Achievement Award to Agnieszka Holland. Yeah, that was announced, uh, God, a month, if not two months ago. Do I know who that is? Uh, well, you should. She's an incredibly notable Polish uh, film director. But, uh, oh, I thought she was an actor. <laughs> no. Have I seen one of her movies? Mm, well, I know you... Did you watch the Rosemary's Baby TV remake she did? That's not a good example of her work. No. Um, she did some English language films in the 90s. Her new uh, big deal movie this year is Green Border, which, oh. I, which I saw at Venice. Well... Uh... That's exciting. Which the which the Polish government hates and has exiled and did not, uh, of course, choose it for their uh, <laughs> international language submission. But yeah, we appreciate all of your work. Um, I was inspired after hearing about the process and just in general. I feel like awards are kind of shitty because there are so many amazing filmmakers and actors and cinematographers and dot dot dot. It just seems weird. To me, I think like all the nominees should be winners. So for this year, in addition to our best pictures of 2023, we're going to do a video for best performances of 2023. And all of the people we list are all considered winners. Oh, okay. And if any of the people we select want an award from us, we will send them one. Oh, okay. But they need to message me directly. Oh. So if Emma Stone wants her statue, she de- well, spoiler, she'll certainly get one. But <laughs> from me, at least. You have to come up with a name, though, for what you're going to call these awards. Uh, when the time comes, yes, I can do that in a pinch. But moving on, we our May-December video. Uh, throughout our the history of our channel, we've had a few videos that get like a lot more subscribers associated with them than others. Mm-hmm. The biggest one is our review for Tar. Okay. directed by todd field yeah we got a ton of subscribers off that one well i love that movie so but uh, recently our review for may december got a lot garnered a lot of subscribers so i'm assuming some of those people spilled over into the podcast so welcome mm-hmm. i'm assuming you liked us bonjour <laughs> or you're just following us so you can write nasty comments i have to block um <laughs> So my office holiday party was this weekend. Oh, God. Yeah, that happened, too. And (laughs) yeah. So well, and then I drank. I wasn't a wreck, but like when I got home, I passed out. You sure did. Mm -hmm. 
but you gave me some ibuprofen so i wasn't super hungover mm -hmm. um so that's all good but i wanted to mention it because a coworker of mine who you know like i see them on zoom but we don't work like very directly but he and his wife were there and just like kind of they just kind of I don't know if they felt comfortable because they were talking to two homosexuals, Probably, but yes, because they kind of just came out of thin air that they mm -hmm. were like, oh, our 12 year old son is gay. So I was like, oh, my God, like I have so many questions. But I just wanted to say that I thought it was like really cool to hear because they're younger than I think both of us are. Mm -hmm. They're in their like later 30s and they have this 12 year old. But yeah, hearing them talk about and they live, I'm not going to say exactly where, but they live in like the Midwest. A Midwestern town. Yeah, like a medium-sized town in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that he, their son is like, you know, he doesn't have issues with bullying. And although most of his friends are girls, but still he has a vibrant and happy life in school. And he obviously has really great parents. And Well, I think I was also impressed by the fact that they don't want to up, upset that balance because they don't want to live in this place forever. And they're going to wait until that's right. They graduates. expressed that they would, you know, ideally not live where they live, but the reason they're not moving and is because they want their son to enjoy um, his homeostasis. So yeah. I thought that was really cool, but it, it just blew my mind to think like, Oh my gosh, to have parents who like see your, you know, fruity, and then they support it and well, you, proactively go to P flag meetings. Because I think you asked her how if it, if, she, if she was surprised when she came when her son came out, and she's like, "Oh no, I knew since he was two. Yeah, and it's like I think almost all parents really do know that. But you know, when I grilled my mom about it, she was like, "I just didn't think of you that way." Like, okay. So I, I I didn't ask them this because it's probably not. If, if, I, I don't know them well enough to get too personal, but I kind of feel like. You know, because he came out, like they said, two years ago. So he was like 10. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just so curious, like, how, how, like, how does he know or what does he feel? Oh, I, I knew from a young age. Like, I, I knew when I, I knew for sure when I was in fourth grade. No, you, yes. I, I'm, I'm not phrasing that correctly. Like how they, like, did they just accept that? Or were they thinking like, what I meant to ask is, or what, what I'm trying to say is how they, like, did they really believe that he knew what he was feeling or were they just thinking I'm going to be as supportive as I can because I love my child and there's nothing wrong with being gay. So even if he ends up not being gay, what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it just seems like, cause I guess I always felt like until I have someone to be gay with, there's no point saying I'm gay. Cause it's like, <laughs> like people, cause I almost feel like people need proof. Like, see, here's this, other 18 year old i'm doing mm. things with so well I'm and, gay. but i think like we're of an age where th that proof is also proving that i can be happy with somebody else that's going to accept sure, me and, I, and sure. I can have a, a foundation and i certainly don't think now that you know you have to have someone to be gay with to understand your feelings but yeah i mean was... if a tree falls in the woods i don't know uh moving on you you get paid to do q a's for films that are on being considered for like best 
international film at the Oscars. I said that so clunkily, but the, there, no, that's that's it. Yeah, there's a PR firm that like that they they have the corner like they've cornered the market on. Well, there tr- there are so many that that um, it depends on who's handling it. But so they sort of are like this group is in charge of trying to promote these foreign language films mm-hmm. to try to get the attention of voters, mm-hmm. the Academy voters to maybe make it on the short list. So you started working with these people a few years ago 2018 um but and you've done it many many times and i've never actually uh seen you do it Mm -hmm. and then i decided to go to one last week and it was for the film vera Mm -hmm. directed by tizza kobe and rainer frimmel starring vera Gemma. so it's kind of like an autobiographical it's kind of a, a hybrid kind of film that's very uh hard to categorize but in a very interesting way but i win it was at the soho house so i thought it'd be fun because then we can like go have dinner near there afterwards mm-hmm. but um i got to meet the star and the directors but the star is so captivating uh-huh. so it was a pleasure meeting her but i got to watch you do the q a for the first time and i thought you did a very very fine job because i've been in a lot of screenings where there is someone moderating mm-hmm. a Q and A, and you know they're not always very good. It's you know it's its own little art form, and I, it's I also find it fucking nerve wracking. But when it goes well, it feels very good. I would imagine it's not easy to do that. I don't know that I would be good at it. Um, I think you would because you're good at talking to people, but. Um, and you go to listening. <laughs> well, if, if anyone wants to pay me to do a Q&A, feel free to reach out. But, but you know, it, it's, it's, I think a lot of people seem to get in their heads about it. it it's. Well, it, you're more knowledgeable and you have a better memory. So I think you have a lot more to pull from. I would have a hard time because if I didn't like the film, well, then, yeah, th- then it would be really hard for me to try to remember things I want to say to keep the conversation going in a positive direction. <laughs> it's it's usually good not to be too cerebral about it. You want it to sound like a conversation. You want to steer the ship a bit. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not about you, the moderator. You're kind of, it, it is and it isn't. You're, you're there, you're visible, but you kind of have to be invisible. I don't know. So um, if anyone wants me to do it, just make sure that, you know, I like the movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't work for peanuts, but... Yeah, the, the the purpose of me bringing this up was to um, congratulate you on your skills. Oh, thank you. So I actually, that was I did a Zoom interview with them first, which is on Ion Cinema, and then they invited me back to do the. I did two live ones. I did one last night with them. As yeah, well. you actually did two. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they're my friends. And I also got to randomly meet the director of Monica. Yeah, Andrea Palaro. Yeah, yeah who's a very nice man. Uh, yeah, he had very nice things to say as well about you. Yeah, because he reads your uh, written reviews uh, on Ion. Well, because I've, I've written two extremely glowing picture or uh, uh, reviews for his past film, like Hannah in 2017 with Charlotte Rampling is just that to me. That's a masterpiece film. I yeah, loved it. But a very handsome Italian man. Uh, yes, he's Italian, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> very good. I don't want to mess that up. <laughs> Uh, lastly, in this section, I was thinking the other day, this is so random and I want to get nasty messages about it, but I think it's so weird. We live in an area where there are a lot of renters and a lot of apartments Mm -hmm. and everyone has a dog. And I think it's really weird that like as a culture, I guess it's 
like considered fine to just like get this dog when you live in a space where you don't have anywhere for the dog to be. And then you just walk outside and pick a yard and let your dog pee and shit in it. And yes, most people pick up this shit, but not everyone. I just, I, I don't know like how that became a thing. That's like, yeah, I should be able to like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bizarre. am I the only one out there in the world who thinks that's weird? And the reason I keep thinking about it recently, like I leave our house every day, like whether it's to, I don't drive a lot of miles, but I drive every day to go to the store, the gym, whatever. And every day I pull out of our garage, there's some person there with their dog, like just shitting in our front yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they look at you like, the fuck you going to like do? Like what? Mm-hmm. And it's like, bitch, if your dog is in my driveway and I run it over, that's your... Because the other thing is people don't put their dog on a leash, which drives me crazy. Because in the past two years, I've hit three dogs who weren't on a leash. And it's like... I have not hit a dog Well, no, you know what the thing is, too? If y'all think I'm going to wreck my rig trying to swerve from a dog that's not on a leash that just juts out into the like that's crazy well, yeah, of course to not, potentially but... hurt myself well you're cost not thousands to... of dollars of you're damage you're not supposed to swerve yeah and then hit another car or another human being because you think it's cute to come outside in your robe and house slippers and let your dog just run around without a yard of your own and so like i like dogs i'm not anti-dog i just it's in the same chapter as like how in men's restrooms, like who said it was, who decided that men should have to stand up peeing in a trough facing each other? I thought I was going to put it in the same realm as Crocs. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, my sister loves Crocs. I know she my does, sister though. wears like designer Crocs with like very expensive little things like Gucci things. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I just, I, like, I keep thinking about it because every time I leave the house, day or night, there's always someone in the yard, like, with their dog pissing and shitting. And they always look at, there's never a smile of, like, hey, like, I recognize, you know, I'm going to pick it up. They look at you like, this is my right. I just think that's weird. No, I... And then I also think it's weird that you live, like, don't dogs need yards? And Yeah. Uh-huh. Y'all just keep these dogs in these apartments all day and then you rush home to take them out to shit in someone else's yard and then you lock them back up again. And <laughs> I don't know. Moving on to the restaurant section. We have gone to this place a few times, but there's a restaurant called Granville, which is a chain. There are several locations, uh-huh. but it's like an upscale restaurant. And I was thinking that that might be my favorite restaurant really? to go to because of the location that look it really feels like you're in like like a cool place Mm -hmm. it's in west hollywood um like bordering beverly hills kind of it's right across the street from cedar sinai and the beverly center and i just think it's a really cool spot and the reason i bring it up is because i often avoid like restaurants in that area or Beverly Hills, because I don't want to spend $200 for the two of us to be moderately satiated. But this restaurant I think is reasonably priced and it's really cute. It is. I like, I like my little cheeseburger. Yeah. I think if you want to have a nice meal in a nice restaurant in a place that feels like, Oh, you're somewhere cool. I think Granville and West Hollywood is a good option. Yeah. And then we were on the West side and we tried this uh, place called good Thai kitchen. Yes. That was okay. Oh, you didn't think it was good? It was good. Uh, yeah, I had no, I, I was also, I was tired. 
But you were. I, I liked it. I liked my vanilla latte. And that's the first time I ever had, like, they had, like, a coffee bar with, like, a barista. And he made a very nice. I had yeah. a brown sugar latte. It was delicious. That was probably my favorite part and what I needed the most, perhaps. But. And I really appreciated that they had cream cheese wontons. Not every... Uh, Thai restaurant has them. They don't. Or sometimes they put crab in the well, cream. I like cheese, that. And you know I don't. Oh, like that. I do. Mm-hmm. Lastly, I wanted to say that Starbucks and these holiday drinks. I can't remember the last time I had the. I, I never ordered that. So this season, I made an effort to like try all the flavors. Oh, okay. So the gingerbread, the sugar cookie, the caramel brulee, the chestnut praline, the oh, pumpkin spice. Child, they all taste the same to me mm-hmm. because. So I always order a venti hot and they come with five pumps. So I always ask for four pumps because the shit is too sweet. Coming from you, that's a lot. It is. They all taste the same. I couldn't tell you a pumpkin spice from a gingerbread from a sugar cookie. Now they have the cinnamon dolce, which I do like. Uh And that I can tell because it does taste very cinnamony. But yeah, I I almost went back and when I ordered the pumpkin spice, I almost went back because I swore it was like a chestnut praline. I didn't know. when i was drinking but you can send uh, starbucks gift cards to our po box oh, and <laughs> i can continue to uh <laughs> conduct my research on these uh sugary ass overpriced drinks anyhow we need to take a break i have a couple of things in the sorry to this man section oh yeah in our godzilla minus one review i had a lot of questions uh-huh. and people got me together i guess on these questions um so first off, I was confused about how Godzilla, like everyone, when in the opening of the film, Godzilla attacks um, this like military base on an island. Odo. Odo, and everyone knows about Godzilla. But mm-hmm. I was confused, like if Godzilla was the creation of the nuclear bomb, then how do they all know about Godzilla? But apparently Godzilla was a thing. It just became as a result of the nuclear bomb, Godzilla grew bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And then people got me together about the emergency thing, saying that those planes had those, because I had said that the mechanic installed. And, okay. But but you but the way that that film shows it, it makes it seem like the mechanic wasn't about to tell him. But here's but here's why I thought that, because the mechanic is telling the main character, like, oh, just so you know there's an emergency right so then but but the, the main beat, character is a pilot but the, do, the is, do pilots not know about emergency but the beat of the story makes it seem like the mechanic believes the pilot is remorseful about his um his cowardice from earlier so he makes it a point to say like you know you can get out of here right so the way I explained it made it sound like this mechanic invented emergency releases. Oh, no, I didn't think that. I didn't get that from what you, but maybe whatever. Well, people took it that way. So sorry. So sorry. There are other, there, there are a couple other things I didn't bother writing down that I misspoke about. But, you know, so my apologies. I'm not up on Godzilla lore, but I did really like that movie. So just, just settle with that you know sleep tight at night knowing that i did like the movie (laughs) next so someone commented on uh our review of miss scrooge that charles dickens did not write a christmas carol so i was like am i crazy and then i kind of do a little research like 
look up this person's handle and then look up their name. And then I see that they have like a website where they wrote an essay trying to prove that Charles Dickens did not write a Christmas Carol. So Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol. But this person um, no. wrote like a thing no. saying that there's evidence that a Christmas Carol was originally written well, by. Well, save that for your honors thesis, sir, and, and bring all your evidence to support your hypothesis. But in the universe we're living in right now, um, <laughs> Charles Dickens wrote it. His name is all over many, many editions and films that are adapted from it. So... But I just wanted to bring that up to say that there is someone out there who doesn't believe that. So if there are others of you out there, you're not alone. Well, this needs to happen at a level higher than you or I uh, to correct. (laughs) Also, my brother-in-law believes in Bigfoot. So if there are any of you out there who believe in Bigfoot. (laughs) Oh, I thought he was joking with that. Well, I think he's always being funny because he says a lot of crazy shit, but <laughs> I know. And I just laugh. And then, but then sometimes he doubles down on things. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't think he's kidding. All right. Moving on quickly through films released. We didn't cover the cello. Oh my God. I kind of want to see this. Uh, Darren Lynn Boozman of, uh, I believe who did repo the genetic rock opera and several saw movies, uh, reunited with Tobin bell for this horror film. That's led by Jeremy Irons. <laughs> Oh, is that streaming right now? I would watch well, it tonight. It was just released on Friday, so I'm sure, oh. maybe. Huh, interesting. Uh, Anselm? I saw this premiered in Cannes. Vim Vendor said two films, one in competition. This was the other one, a documentary in 3D, which uh, is beautiful to look at. It's about the artist Anselm Kiefer, uh, and I would recommend seeing it on the big screen, especially if you're a Vendor's fan uh, who these days usually is a little better documentary than narrative fiction. Although I did like uh, perfect days to be fair. Uh, but yeah, that came out the end. We start from this sounds interesting. I just didn't, I didn't have time this week, but uh, it's directed by Mahalia Bello uh, starring Jody Comer of the last dual fame uh, about a mother and her child and some kind of environmental thriller, or terrible thing happening. Fast Charlie. Uh, this looks terrible, but uh, stars Pierce Brosnan, and it's directed by Philip Noyce, who at one time was a big deal director. Uh, you've seen Salt with Angelina Jolie, but I mean, back in the 90s when he was doing Clear and Present Danger, etc. Uh, I believe he also did Dead Calm with Nicole Kidman uh, and Billy Zane and Sam Neill. Anyway, uh, he has a new B-grade action film out. Leave the World Behind. Uh, so I watched this uh, on Friday. This actually opened the AFI Film Festival this year, and I didn't see it there. Uh, and Netflix opened it theatrically like one or two weeks ago. It has a really interesting cast. I didn't love it. it it'd be I'd, I'd be curious to see what you think. It's also two hours and 12 minutes. Oh, no, so thank it's you. It's a little long. But basically, Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke. Is, oh, I did want to watch that. Uh huh. I, I sent you several emails about it. You, you didn't respond to. Um, oh. <laughs> but they're this married couple that decide to go off on a vacation because uh, they're tired of people and, and and the Big Apple, and they find this beautiful palatial estate where they can leave the world behind. And while we're there, something happens like a cyber attack, and the owner uh, of the uh, estate Mahershala Ali and his daughter, his plucky daughter, played by is it Mahala from Bodies, 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 uh, show up and ask if they can stay the night because of what's going on in the outer world, and then they have a kind of a contentious thing, and 
increasingly it seems like thing things are shit's going down uh outside i thought julie roberts was super grating in this oh um but she plays women that i've met many of them just like this but just super prickly bitchy white lady that's really so off-putting i can't believe anybody can stand you and i really didn't like a scene where her and Mahershala are bonding and uh she puts on a record and it's uh that it's that song from 1997 is the band called next oh too close yeah she puts on too close and she's dancing to it and i hated that i did not need to see that girl in 1997 you were doing my best friend's wedding i don't need you weren't jamming too too close um and i also hated the end of it but it was. It's got some things that are interesting, and it has some nice moments of uh, tension building. Uh, so I'm going to say it's worth a look. Directed by Sam Esmail, but I, I would have written something else. With that Next, scene. Lord of Misrule. Uh, this is from William Brent Bell, who did is it the boy and the the orphan sequel that we reviewed. Who's oh. not a director I tend to love, but uh, this stars Tuppence Middleston and. Ralph Innocent from from the the Vitch, uh, a, a horror thriller. I don't I don't remember what the plot's about, but Merry Little Batman. A new ba- animated Batman film came out on Amazon Prime, directed by Mike Roth. Luke Wilson does one of the voices. I'm you know. Lastly, the Sacrifice Game. Uh, this is a horror film directed by Jen Wexler that was released on Shutter. All right, projects of interest. We'll zip through these. Uh-huh. Silent Friend. Uh, oh, yeah. So uh, the Hungarian auteur Ildiko Agneri, who won the Golden Bear in Berlin in 2017 for On Body and Soul, which was a film I liked. Uh, and it was her return to filmmaking. She hadn't directed a feature in, I think, 20 years at that point or something like that. Uh, and then she did... Uh, <laughs> a really clunky adaptation of this excellent Hungarian novel called the story of my wife. I loved the book and I was so excited for it because it started Lea Seydoux and it played a can and it was such a boring, <sighs> stiff adaptation of that. But anyway, she's uh, got, got a new project she's collecting funds for called silent friend. So I, I'm still interested. Gava gay. Uh, Ulrich Kohler, German director whose previous films I like such as In My Room and Sleeping Sickness, although I'm, I'm more excited for his wife, uh, who's Marin Ade, and I really want her to... And, I mean, Tony Erdman was 2016. Like, come on, girl, let's get another film going. But anyway, he's got a new project called, I think you said, Gava Gay. Rose. Markus Schleimser, uh, speaking of Austrians, he used to be an AD for, I believe, Michael Haneke, I don't remember. Maybe on Benny's video. I don't remember on which film. But he started directing his own films in 2011, including this film about a pedophile that everybody seemed to be all mad about. But I thought it was pretty good. Uh, called, I believe it was called Michael. Uh, and he had another film in 2018, I'm forgetting of the, t- the title of, with Albert Rohrwalker, which I also thought was pretty good. But he's got a new project called Rose. Yellow Letters? Uh, Yellow Letters. Uh, the uh, A really great interesting release this year was the teacher's lounge which premiered in berlin uh so if anybody if you can remember that title it's it's a pretty good and a fantastic lead performance but he's got a new project already in the works called yellow letters the captive uh alejandro amenabar 
is got another i didn't see his last movie which was a war film which i heard was kind of so so you know him because we just rewatched the others with nicole kidman oh uh, but he's a spanish a very notable spanish filmmaker uh he have was doing some series i'm forgetting the title of but he's got a i hope it gets a title change but it's called the captive because right away i'm thinking of that terrible ryan reynolds adam mcgoran film Nightborn hatching. Well, that hatching is a note to myself, so I wouldn't forget. But uh, <laughs> Hannah Bergholm, a uh, Finnish director who uh, did hatching, which we reviewed. Okay. Remember about that little girl who oh, gets the bird. That, that <laughs> turns into a bird? Yes. <laughs> she. I mean, that movie was pretty... It, I wanted it to be probably more than it was, but it's actually pretty interesting and weird. So I'm curious to see what she does next. Kiss of the Spider Woman. So J Lo, no Jennifer Lopez. No. Yes, Jennifer Lopez is going to star in a film version of the musical version of Kiss of the Spider Woman, directed by Bill Condon, who uh, he of Dreamgirls and Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, flesh fame. Uh, I think they're looking for unknowns to play the two uh, male characters. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. A farewell to arms. J-Lo and a music. Uh, you know, what's funny, though. Um, perhaps it's fitting because, you know, in the Hector Babenko film with William Hurt, Sonia Braga was the Spider Woman and she's played Jennifer Lopez's mother at least twice. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, there's a new version of Farewell to Arms that Michael Winterbottom is uh, adapting, of course, the classic Ernest Hemingway text. Uh, Tom Blythe of Songbirds and Snakes. The, who you kept calling what did you keep calling him in the review anus yes coriolanus uh he will be starring people were so mad but anus is in his name anus i didn't just like it's well, not an anagram i mean i don't know why problem. we should get mad we all have one or we if we don't it's a problem right <laughs> lastly it looks like ryan murphy and kim kardashian are working on a legal drama for hulu which i thought was fun i don't really care about this these people but uh you know when you can't pass the bar let's create a vehicle where you can pretend that you did <laughs> okay we need to get through the movies we watch for fun the stendhal syndrome uh yes because i interviewed vera Gemma, who's the daughter of giuliano Gemma. uh i wanted to see her in this dario gentro film dario argento film i'd never seen starring ozzy argento uh which i know is kind of infamous because of these violent rape scenes um, and Vera is in one scene as a policewoman. And you know what? I liked this better when I, than I thought. It's based on a book, but it's ridiculous because the Stendhal syndrome is an actual thing. Apparently, for people that are exposed to great works of art and enter a fugue state have <laughs> the Stendhal syndrome. <laughs> it's, and, uh, um but it's worth a watch. I didn't I didn't mind it. Thomas Kreshman looking very much like a Julian Sands at the time. Next, The Pistol for Ringo. This was a Giuliano Gemma film I'd never seen, directed by Duccio Tessari, who's a very interesting director. Uh, back when I lived in Minnesota, a friend of mine gave me a copy of this 70s film with Alain Delon. It's known by three different titles, including Big Guns and Tony Arzenta, or at least two of the titles, which I really, I really like that film. But Pistol for Ringo, uh, there was a sequel, and then a whole bunch of knockoffs, uh, you know, of this period of these spaghetti westerns i thought it was pretty good i enjoyed it next we watched my bodyguard D okay it's directed by somebody named tony bill who 
he did a film in the early 90s called Untamed Heart with Marissa Tomei and Christian Slater, where I, I think she gets a monkey heart transplant. But I, there's, a, there's a Minnesota connection with that, but I've never seen it. But this film's from 1980 and has a really interesting cast. This movie, <laughs> I put it on because it looked like a joke, like the the... You know, on Amazon Prime, when you click on the movie, it shows you like a still Mm -hmm. and the still made me giggle. So I thought, let me put this on and it totally caught my attention. It's about this kid played by Chris Makepeace, Mm -hmm. who looks like so many people to me. (laughs) He's a cute little kid. But anyway, he's being bullied at school by Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, who's giving me Elliot Page. He's very handsome. He looks very gay to me. Like that kid wouldn't have bullied my ass. Oh, no, no, no. Mm -mm. (laughs) But anyway, Matt Dillon is bullying everyone at school, making them all give him their lunch money. And one day, uh, little Clifford, Chris Makepeace's character, he sees that there's this big kid played by Adam Baldwin, who looks like if you took Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck and mixed them together, you would get Adam Baldwin, who apparently is like a distant Relation to the Baldwins. But the way you read it to me was worded like the Baldwins are like a species of something. From a long lost <laughs> like, vampiric like, like, ro- Romanian line. What does that even line. mean? Like he's their third cousin removed. Anyway. He's, this very, Adam, he's very handsome. He this, was only 18 here. Yeah. He's like this huge kid. So at first it seems like a happy ending, but we're only 40 minutes in. So we know other stuff's going to happen. The film takes us places that I was not expecting. And it's pretty laughable. Uh, but you know i it it left me in the end feeling feeling nice the, joan joan cusack's in it looking like a sloth with braces oh i thought she seemed so cute <laughs> if you look up gangly in the dictionary yeah. it would be that her picture from this movie but she seems like a sweet girl you know she, she has a nice energy what well, all the kids are being bullied so they're all kind of, oh and jennifer beals that's right. She's in it as like a like a background student. And Ruth Gordon is his grandma. That's right. The grandma's who's got fun. hot drawers. Yeah. Yeah. The the grandma's wild, but yeah, it's so funny to see all these kids letting this one little faggy looking boy <laughs> pick on them. I, I just you can't be more petite than me and think that you're gonna rough me up. I'm he's sorry. Got such tight little clothes he's wearing. It's but it's funny to he's see. He's very them. attractive. Because this is before the outsiders, you know. It's well, I don't know how old was he back then. Let me not say that. But he's a very good looking kid, but it's just like he's so petite. He was oh he you know what? He was also giving me Rachel McAdams and Mean Girls vibes. Yeah. And all his little he's wearing like you said, wearing super tight like shirts, like V-necks, and then all his little shoes match his shirts. Mm-hmm. And he's very preoccupied with his hair. Mm-hmm. Girl, lunch money for me? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Check out my bodyguard. You watched Silver Dollar Road? Yeah, because um, I'd missed it. Or Raul Peck, who's probably, I mean, I mean, he was Oscar nominated for his James Baldwin doc, I'm Not Your Negro, but uh, he's been around for a long time. I've never, he's Haitian. I've never seen La Mamba, which I, I'm still, it's still on my list of many things to see. Um, God, and he did a movie about, uh, Karl Marx, which I really did. I thought was really dry. Um, but yeah, he has a new documentary out. It's on Amazon prime. It's worth watching. Uh, it's about this, uh, several generations of this black family in North Carolina. That's been bullied out of, uh, their property rights. And I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> 
Nothing that this family has gone through seems surprising in the least, including, uh, I think, two of the family members spending six years in prison on a trespassing charges. Are you fucking kidding me? But, um, yeah, it, I mean, it'll make your blood boil, but it, it's, it definitely is worth seeing. I'm not going to read this next line because you're going to get mad that I should know what this means. So what is oh, this? Trailer for a film that will never exist. Phony Wars. That, is that the title of the movie? Yes. It's a short film. Oh. It's the last. It's technically it's an incomplete film project because John Luke Godard was working on it when he died uh, this past year. And it's being released uh, courtesy of Kino Lorber this month uh, in conjunction with a documentary about Godard. And I haven't watched the documentary yet, but I'm they they pl- showed this short at Cannes, and I missed it. But um, I think if you're a fan and a completist, uh, it's worth seeing. Stamped from the beginning. I thought this was an excellent documentary. It was released very recently on Netflix, and it's directed by Roger Ross Williams, who's very busy lately. Uh, Cassandro, with starring Gail Garcia Bernal, he did this year, uh, and was it last year when, or was that still earlier this year where he did the Diana Ross? or sorry, the Donna Summer uh, documentary. Uh, but this is based on a book by Ibram X. Kendi. And it's 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 basically, I think this would make a great double feature with Ava DuVernay's origin because it's all about the origin of uh, racist ideas in the U.S. And, and kind of unpacking the history behind our conditioning of course, for all this bullshit, uh, but uh, some excellent, I mean, there's a lot of talking heads, but uh, I, I think there's some uh, texture with the animation and uh, a lot of very fiercely intelligent people speaking. Uh, so I, I think it's enjoying, it's upset, enjoyable in an upsetting kind of way, but, uh, you know, and, and considering uh, what's not allowed to be taught in schools, I guess we have to depend on fucking streaming services to... Uh, get historical accuracy rewind and play uh this i'm glad i had the opportunity to watch i missed this at berlin 2022 it's only about an hour and five minutes it's directed by elaine gomez uh who i've seen i saw his last feature felicite and i don't know how well you know thelonious monk but it is footage that was recently discovered thelonious was on his last i think it's his last tour in france in 1969 and i think he just given his last performance and he's that same afternoon is giving this interview with this for this french television program and it is grueling to watch he he's not he doesn't speak french well they didn't couldn't get him a goddamn interpreter uh in this man this this older white man that's interviewing him it's just so degrading and they're also making him play he's sweating profusely he looks uncomfortable he tries to leave several times they don't like his answers they're trying to it's just uh it's just funny seeing behind you're seeing behind the curtain uh but uh, if you're a fan of his I, I definitely worth a watch my neighbor totoro uh, I'll talk about this and Ponyo at this in the same breath because uh, they were two Miyazaki animated films I hadn't seen, and I didn't really like either of them. <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, again, I, fine. I, I'm a Scrooge. I don't like precocious children. These films have these annoying little girl characters, and the I and I and I watch them in the original Japanese language because all of these films have. Uh, English language, very famous actors dubbing over them, which I don't need. I like 
uh, watching them in the original intended language. I, I didn't like these Restidious little girls. I didn't. And I know, especially Totoro has uh, a huge fan base following. I know that's a favorite of many people. So apologies, but the, these were not my favorite Miyazaki. They're not spirited away to me. I don't know. Next, Pictures of Ghosts. This I caught up with was a can this year by uh, the great Brazilian filmmaker Kleber Mendonça Filho. And this is a documentary that's basically exploring the history of theaters in Recife, Brazil. He has some interesting photographs of when Janet Lee and Tony Curtis and, as he says, their two daughters visited in, in the late 60s. Um, but I think... It, if you like him, yes, definitely worth seeing. It is Night in America. I didn't like this. Uh, another Brazilian filmmaker, Ana Vaz. And the description of it sounds really good. It's short, at least, thankfully. But it, it's supposedly animals uh, turning on us in their, in their increasingly polluted environments. And really, it's just her, her pointing the camera at all these elements, all these animals that are just looking into the lens. I don't. I, I thought it was very dull. He died with his eyes open. I wanted to see this for forever, and I found a print on rarefilm.com uh, starring Charlotte Rampling, 1985, playing this horribly bitchy, beautiful femme fatale. Uh, it's directed by Jacques Duray, who I've seen a couple of his films. And this is more on the notable side because it got a, I know he got a Caesar Award nomination for it. It stars Michelle Serrault, who played a bunch of cops in films around that. And it's so funny because when I see him, I can't not think of Lakaja Fo. Uh, but, and, and apparently he has an attraction to Rampling and she's seducing all these men that it's just laughable to think that, that she would be interested in these men. I just looking the way she does. Uh, but yeah, I, overall I liked it. It's kind of a lackadaisical neo-noir chain reaction. This was fucking terrible. Oh my God. I remember my dad complaining about this when he rented it when we were kids, but it's directed by Andrew, the great Andrew Davis who did the fugitive and also uh, holes with Sigourney among many other things. But this was 1996 Morgan Freeman, Keanu Reeves playing a oh, scientist. I totally forgot about this movie. <laughs> you kept bitching about Rachel Vise and it just, she I don't just, even remember who she was in this movie. The female lead. Oh, the doctor who's the running, PhD. running. Uh, yeah. She just was too young, I think, for this role. But Keanu, as Keanu's a very handsome. He yeah, he looked like he was comfortable. He looked like he wasn't in fighting shape, but he's still very handsome. He does a lot of running in this movie. Uh, There's a scene where he's running from the cops, and he has to cross like one of those drawbridges. There are some great. <laughs> there are some pretty damn good action sequences. It's just too bad that they... it feels like it's mostly action sequences kind of joined together with this complicated ass plot. Like, well, that's also kind of. Uh, I don't want to say it's prescient, but it, it's kind of the same plot as the naked gun two and a half, but uh, where the government is trying to stymie free ways of sourcing energy. <laughs> anyway, deadly illusion. Oh, you skipped over one, but you watched deadly I did that on purpose. Deadly Every time oh. I do that, you tell me. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. Uh, you watched deadly illusion with me too. What was that? With Billy D. Williams. And Morgan Fairchild. Oh, my God. And Vanity, who cannot act her little... Pretty face off. No, she... Terrible. Terrible. This movie was terrible. 
I, it's so bad. I don't even remember. I don't even know what I remember from it, except that it was bad. Well, it's 1987, and I I bypassed the show. Well, I'm actually a big Larry Cohen fan, uh, but he was fired during. He wrote this film, and he was fired from directing. It was completed by someone named William Tannen, and you could see the Cohen isms in it. Uh, Billy D. Williams is this detective that's not very good at his job named Hamburger. Like that's his last name. I got so tired of hearing about his name. Yeah, his name is a joke within the film. The so Billy D. Williams is a very handsome man. He is. Like I can see why he was a sex symbol. I can see why he was hawking Colt forty five. But he is not. His presence is not that of like the character he was supposed to be playing. Uh-huh. Like he doesn't seem like this debonair man of action not scared of anything he's walking into all these dangerous situations kind of like he seems real corny he seems really clueless uh but it's not a comedy no this was bad it was bad but i totally forgot about morgan it. fairchild's wigs oh my god <laughs> Ugh. well i think i was hoping we could finish these but we need to take a break there are just two more movies watch for fun Three in the Attic, a 1968 film. I think you were perusing one night late, Mm -hmm. and we came across this. The the description was... uh... The description. When three co-eds discover that the campus Casanova is dating them all at once, they lock him up in an attic and take turns having sex with him to drain the stud of his potency. (laughs) So we read that, and I was like, oh, yes. uh, Make a mental note that we need to watch this at a later date. So we did. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting. It is. I'd say the first... uh, The film is actually very interesting until I get him in the attic. Until you get to the part, which it takes a long time to get to him in the attic. But prior to that, it was quite interesting. I agree. So the the campus Casanova is a character named Paxton Quigley. And there's even a song about... There's a theme song about Paxton. Which is kind of catchy. Um, Because, well, Quentin Tarantino used it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But the actor Christopher Jones, he is handsome. He reminds me of, I mean, he's handsome in that, like, 1960s James Dean. He reminds me of I don't like going to the dentist. Maybe Jan Michael Vincent. Smoke too many cigarettes look. But he's, he's a handsome guy. But the women, he ends up having this, like, sort of love triangle with. Um, are a very interesting bunch. The main one, Yvette Mimu. They have like a legitimate relationship, and then one day he is somewhere, and this black woman named Euless, who's beautiful, played by Judy Pace mm-hmm, from she Cotton Comes to Harlem, pushes up on him so tough. Kind of not unlike now that I think of it, Barry Kogan in Saltburn. She mm. needs a ride. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. And he succumbs to her. They, and then they start having like a sexual affair. And then one day when he's on his way to go have sex with Euless, he bumps into this woman named Janet, who's crazy. Who's just out in, she's just out in the forest. Like with her crystals and nature chanting. And she doesn't, he ends up seducing her, but then she's like, no, I'm a good girl. And then he pretends to be a queer. Yes. And then she's like, oh. Oh, well, then I'll have sex with you. 
So they all find out. Mm -hmm. And that's like at the hour point mm -hmm. where they lock him in the attic. And then it's just him locked in this attic. And, and they, they just keep having sex with him. And that's when the movie became so stupid. They, t they become succubi, I guess. And then he j they take sex shifts. I don't because know. first of all, he's locked in the attic of a sorority house. So there are many women in this house. Mm -hmm. He is in this attic. And not once does he even seem to try to want to get out of the attic no and another um girl tr can tell something's going on and tries to tell on them then he like it, he's up there for some t like weeks mm -hmm. and there are no facilities up there so i don't know where he's using the bathroom where he's bathing i can't believe these three women are like using this man's body who like they're all using and he's not cleaning himself he looks dirty and then they're so casual about it. Like, yep, we got to drain. Where is he shitting? Right. I, I was so preoccupied with how they're keeping him up there and why they would want to have sex with well, him. Well, like their old vaginal juices are still. Right. Out. And he's all gross. And then the, and they're just so nonchalant about it. like, yep, we, we just got to keep going until he's sucked dry, literally. And then he finally gets out. He gets beat up. When is the punishment enough? Because Yvette, Yvette Mimieu is mad. And the Dean, played by Nan Martin, who is the lady that plays that old dried-up nurse in uh, Shallow Hell, which I thought was Cloris Leachman at the time. Um, she's interesting. Anyhow, I do recommend this movie. Um, we need to talk a second about Ulysses, though, who is a character that transferred out of this place called Howard. Oh, Euless is the, the 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 black woman. Yeah, she's now in this other school with all these white folks. But she talks about she talks about Howard like it's like trash, trash. And then she's like, the only people there are basically like these militant ass black people who she can't relate to, or the whitest Negroes you've ever seen. I thought that that was really bold. It... The, the movie in itself is very bold. I mean, it is during sort of like sexual liberation time. and Yes. But I think that the conversations they're having, the boldness in which these women are like, well, particularly Euless, but mm. seeing these young ladies be sort of like sexual, I could see this movie being something discussed in like a gender studies class. And one um, of the last things Christopher Jones did before he decided to retire i would recommend watching it with people and talking about and it and you know we watched this kind of back to back with deadly illusion and john beck is in both films and you didn't recognize him oh well anyway lastly we watched candy cane lane Blech. that new uh, amazon prime christmas comedy starring eddie murphy and tracy ellis ross and your cousin jillian, jillian bell, bell. Uh, but, directed by the great reginald hudland so i had kind of decent hopes for this i did not like it well i think i was thinking about that marlon wayans kelly Rowland christmas film that was halloween film our halloween film and then i was also thinking about that film eddie murphy did with jonah hill for netflix you people so i was a little like dubious about it and yeah this film is on the level of those it just the plot is so ridiculous Ugh. i can't get enough of Tracy Ellis Ross. And she is cute on screen. She's, but this this feels like a sitcom. This could have been an episode of a sitcom, like like the Christmas episode of a sitcom mm -hmm. that's like 30 minutes long. It makes no sense. 
I don't even know what I could say the premise is, except that Eddie Murphy, lo- oh, the one notable thing is that it's set in El Segundo, yeah. which I think is funny. Well, because he loses his job and then he needs money and there happens to be a contest about who has the best. Uh, well, His you know block has an annual like Christmas decorations thing, but this year it's being sponsored. So the winner gets $100,000. And then the whole movie is about him trying to win it. Mm-hmm. But Jillian Bell plays this like elf lady elf that's out an outcast from uh the north pole apparently who curses eddie murphy and david allen greer santa and he has to collect it it's so overly complicated and nonsensical and worst of all boring and boring the only thing i thought was funny is in the end we find out that the hundred thousand dollars is not in cash it's in prizes and the bulk of the prizes is like from a taco stand it just i'm so surprised that there are so many funny people in this and it's just not it's not the worst but i regretted watching it it's also two hours long it's it felt very long Uh, unfortunately there are entries in the obituary section mm -hmm. so first marissa pavan Pavan? Pavan. Pavan. Italian. What do we know her from? Uh, she's Oscar-nominated supporting role for The Rose Tattoo, which is an, which Anna Magnani won her Oscar for, which you still need to see, um, based on Tennessee Williams' play that he wrote for Ms. Magnani. Uh, so you, yeah, we, we need to watch this film because I love it, and it's been years and years and years. But, yes, yeah, she died. Next, Norman Lear died at the age of 101. That's He's right. Prolific, a uh, prolific. <laughs> He's prolapsic. The, the polypepsid. Uh, oh, Mononucleotide. when you were in school, you always you you love to tell the story about how this girl would cheat from your paper. So one day, oh, you this wrote, dumb this dumb bitch. Her name was Jen. She was fucking annoying. She played hockey, but uh, I don't. I, I mean, I was not dumb. People, I, I got, yeah. But she would just, it was in home, at, home ec. Home ec is not hard. It's not hard. And, but we had to get tested on food, like, you know, dumb shit. And she would always like whisper to me, like, what's this? And I got tired of this dumb ass one day. And I said, uh, <laughs> not, I said powerhouse protein. The question was something about like name this macronutrient yeah. or something. And then you told her the answer was powerhouse protein. I laugh about that a lot. <laughs> because, you know, then you have to hand the paper to someone else to correct. And so she handed this paper to some other dumb dumb who raises their hand. Um, Ms. P is, will you accept powerhouse protein as an answer? And that teacher was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> no. So, I also convinced this other dum dum in another class that her back teeth were called patellas. Oh God! Well, you told your sister her breasts were called I, not her breasts, or I, breasts in general. Her dot, her her Barbie's breasts. I told her that they were called blisters. Anyhow, Norman Lear, a prolific producer who developed, um, wrote, created like over a hundred television shows, many of which I'm very familiar with. Like, I mean, he's, will anyone ever be as, no, like, (laughs) well, because also like his, like the impact of those, those shows had on the culture too. And a lot, you know, his shows featured like the first time we saw on television, like gay characters, 
um, showing black people in a different light than they had been seen prior. So, you know, I'm sure people have issue with him, but from my perception, um, a tree is a trailblazer. Yeah. And like so many of his shows are shows that I watched. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously good times is probably my favorite, mm -hmm. but the Jeffersons mod one day at a time, all in we? the family. Oh, I mean, just on and on and on. When we were watching Medea's family reunion, Medea has that the Janet episode where she's abused. <laughs> you remember, she's watching. That's right. Medea's watching, right. That, watching episode. that episode of Good Times. Uh, of course, Good Times had Janet Jackson. Uh, Norman Lear also did Different Strokes, mm -hmm. which Janet Jackson was on for a season or two, and then she even posted when he died. Um, her condolences and that she was so glad that he was able to see her son before he died. Mm. And so, yeah, but what a, I mean, there are some people when I think about like what a life, like what must it have been like to be him in the seventies and eighties like, yeah. with all the money, all the juice, like, and then choosing to do things that were different, like highlighting people who yeah how about that trying to do things that are innovative and interesting not a lot of people you think doing that like now. with all in the family sanford and son mod like where esther roll which then spawned into good times the jefferson i mean it's just like what's that esther roll tv movie that i showed you that we have to watch oh well it, was it one of those christmas movies no no it was i think it was written by larry cohen something oh, about china yeah in the title china yeah, where she plays like a she plays a. Doesn't she play a maid going on an investigation? Yes, <laughs> yes. We need to watch that. Next, Ryan O'Neill. Did did. I don't really know him except that I know he was in a relationship with Farrah Fawcett. Mm -hmm. I know he's the father of Tatum O'Neill, mm -hmm. um, and I know he's in a movie where he plays opposite John Hurt. Like John partners, mm -hmm. like like they're cops, and John Hurt's the gay one, and Ryan O'Neill has to kind of go undercover as this, a gay, as mm -hmm. a gay. So that's I don't know much about him. I know that, yeah, I don't. That's all I know. About he him. was had a pretty solid career in the seventies. Um, I think he dated Diana Ross too, because I think the the bodyguard was supposed to be. Oh, uh, well, I think maybe it was initially Steve McQueen and and Diana, and then Ryan O'Neill and Diana. Anyway. Um, yes, he was a famous Lothario. I, we need to watch Paper Moon. I love Paper Moon. That's what Tatum O'Neill won her Oscar for. Oh, he's in it? Yeah, he plays oh. her dad in it. Oh. Um, and Madeline Kahn is so fantastic in that movie as well. And Tatum is very cute. Um, yeah. Barry Lyndon, I mean, you know, Kubrick. He's, he has a pretty solid filmography from that period. Then, or lastly, Anna Marie Cardwell, who's part of the Honey Boo Boo uh, Mama June family. She's the oldest child of Mama June, uh, who on the show, I think, called they called her Shannon. She passed away yesterday from a battle with cancer that happened like... She was diagnosed in January? Like less than a year. Yeah. All. I mean, and she was only 29. Yeah. So that's sad. Yeah. All right. I promise this is the last break.
The secret film this week was my choice, and I wanted to keep with the Christmas vibes and choose something that I thought would be fun and silly. So I chose the 2021 drag-themed Christmas comedy film, The Bitch Who Stole Christmas. (laughs) Directed by Don Scardino, who directed that... um... Jim Carrey magician movie, The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. Do you remember that? Oh, no. Uh, Steve Carell. Not very good. Oh, uh, well, this movie was not very good. (laughs) No, it wasn't. You read a description that I think describes it perfectly. Yeah. Which is uh, someone wrote the longest acting challenge you've ever seen, which is a reference to RuPaul's Drag Race and how Mm -hmm. the queens do these acting challenges that are sometimes like 10, 15 minutes long. And those feel and arduous. those feel long, yeah. So imagine a 90-minute version of that. That's The Bitch Who Stole Christmas. The and, premise? And it's short. It's only 87 minutes, I think. A workaholic big city fashion journalist is sent to a Christmas-obsessed town to dig up a story. Oh, boy. Okay, so RuPaul... And it's a musical. ...plays Hannah Contour, so a play on Anna Wintour. Mm-hmm. She is the like head of this magazine, and she has an an assistant named Olivia, played by Krista Rodriguez, who you recognized. Yeah, from she played Liza with a Z in Halston. So Olivia's at work, and this is like Christmas time, obviously, and she's gunning for a promotion. RuPaul calls her into her office and says, "Hey, I've been reading about this town called Tuckahoe." And they take Christmas very seriously. Like, it's all the rage. Everyone's talking about it. They have an annual Christmas ball. And I want you to go and do an expose. Like, figure out what it is, why it's, like, like everyone's gagging. Oh, and you need to bring home the crown. Uh This movie, you know, RuPaul on the show, like, when she's judging contestants, she always really resonates with, like, stupid stuff. And she, you, you couldn't count the number of times she'll tell someone, like, what you did was so stupid and I loved it. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to me that she would be in this movie that is absolutely stupid. But anyway, she sends uh, Olivia out there telling her like, if you're successful, I'll give you that promotion you want. So Olivia gets out there and is trying to figure out like, how can she get the scoop? How can she get the crown? And for some reason, everyone in the town is really dubious about reporters, which makes no sense because they have this annual multi-day ball that is all the rage. And we also see that. I mean, unless at the end of the ball, some wicker man shit is happening. Why are you worried? We also see in the beginning of the film, RuPaul shows Olivia like a newspaper article and a magazine article, I think about the ball. Uh So I don't know why everyone in the town is like, we don't like reporters. So Olivia goes undercover as a person named Maggie Zine. Mm -hmm. And she becomes friends with this group of women who basically run like the town whorehouse slash bar and grill Mm -hmm. and convinces them to participate in the ball. So now she has her little group and then the ball is multi-night and there are seven categories. And when the first one, the category happened, I'm like, they're not going to make us go through all of the categories. Well, surprise they do. They're not great. No. And we only ever see Olivia's little band battling against the front runner. The the Kitten Heel Court Clan. Yeah, Kitten Heel Court Clan. Run by James Mansfield. 
So as Delia Vaughn, white woman. So we spend half the movie doing all of the activities for the ball. And then on the final activity, when we think that Olivia and her band of misfits are going to win, Olivia's exposed. They're like, she's not Mag- Maggie Zine. She's actually Olivia St. Lapel, and she's a reporter. So the mayor of the town, played by Anna Maria Horsford, who's judging the ball. Mayor Kunt. Mayor Kunt. <laughs> it disqualifies them. And that's a tragedy because the reason the misfits, who their team name is the Broads, even agree to do it is because there's prize money and the bar is being foreclosed on and demolished like in a, in four days. Uh-huh. So they needed that money. But Gosh, doesn't this sound like candy cane lane yet? It really does. But all is not lost because even though they are disqualified, they get the crowd like excited and the crowd always looks like it only consists of 25 people, but somehow these 25 people start throwing money on the stage that looks like thousands of dollars. So they're able to save the bar, but then here's where um, all is revealed because right away you're thinking, why does RuPaul want this crown or Hannah contour? Like why, why does she want an expose in the crown? We find out that that crown has a rare jewel in it that's worth $100 million. So it's like Lil Uzi Vert's face. <laughs> Forehead, yeah. So RuPaul wants it because the magazine she runs is like, she, she, she says has been failing and in debt for years and years. <laughs> so she wants that money for that. And then you think, well, how does she know about this crown and all this? Because RuPaul is the sister of Anna Maria Horsford. So then you think, well, how come they're not talking? Because RuPaul, when they were younger, was pregnant <laughs> uh-huh. and her sister exposed her and embarrassed her. So she had to flee. Also, Hannah wrote newspaper columns that no one read. And up. Hannah changed her name. So Kunt, Mayor Kunt, her real last name is Yurkunt, but then she thought it wasn't very like appropriate. So she changed it to Kunt. But Yurkunt, um, RuPaul's character's name, Hannah Contour. Contour is an anagram for your Kunt. Like these details are so stupid. Yeah. But anyway, in the end, RuPaul uh, doesn't get away with the crown, reconciles with her sister. And then the final scene is that she thinks, you know, the, the meaning of Christmas is to share with your family. It's also being narrated by Michelle Visage. And then she has guests. Oh, God. There like are so. Kim Petrus and Charo, neither of who I needed. They had nothing to do. They literally show up and say, I want to sing. And Michelle says, no, I'm narrating this movie. So these two just sit there. Yeah. They are Their actual purpose in the film is to have no purpose, yep. mm-hmm. which was not enjoyable to me. No. Mm-mm. But the film, uh, yeah, it's not good. There are so many queens in it. Which impedes... Uh, Peppermint, it, Brooklyn Heights, Ginger Minge, Jan Sport, James Mansfield, uh, Latrice Royale, who we need to talk about, Morgan McMichaels, uh, Kylie Sonique Love, Chad Michaels, Pandora Kelly Mantle, Box. Pandora Boxes in it, Lagandra Strange, so many people. But it was garbage, Mama. Okay, so the, the it has a really rough, rocky start. The opening dance number song where nobody's lips are sinking. Oh, before we get there, there's uh, one queen I forgot. Got Mick is in it. Also annoying. Who's supposed to... So here's the tragedy of this film to me. 
I think the writing is actually pretty solid. There are some funny bits. The yeah. problem is none of these queens seem to have any acting chops. Well, why do you think they gave the lead to a non-drag queen? <laughs> so it's just really rough. Got mixed. Acting is terrible, even though he has funny lines. Um, when we first see got mix sit down at his desk because he's at work with olivia he immediately starts typing like with his fingers but there's no keyboard there nope. <laughs> and then he does have a funny line because olivia is asking him for help and got mick is like you know my job is to recite catch <laughs> my job is to recite catchphrases i learned from black women and i thought yeah that's what gay white men are good for copying yeah. trying to mimic black women but um yeah the writing is interesting but they these these queens can't uh Not do all, them any you justice know, i don't usually care for brooklyn heights but as the russian hooker uh i thought she was fine she was yeah i i, I think her dialogue was funny okay so a few things are really odd to me. It's very, very clear that RuPaul shot all of her scenes in one day and on green screen. Oh, yeah. I, she's not in the same room doing her Faye Dunaway shtick. Yeah. I think so. Aside from RuPaul being 99% green screen, there is one scene where it looks like she's in a crowd of people. But aside from that, it's clearly green screen. She's also wearing, it looks like she's like they got her dressed for a day. And she's wearing outfits like when you would cut out like paper dolls with paper clothes mm -hmm. and like stick them. All of her outfits have the same silhouette. Or like Melk's uh, Wear the Fashion song. Yes. Like it looks like all <laughs> of her outfits sort of snapped on in the back and then they could easily be switched out. So there's that. Then her face looks animated at times. Mm -hmm. I think the problem, you know, my first note after we finished the film was that the art of drag is all about smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion. There's a reason why you don't want to see drag queens from the side uh -huh. or the back, right? Because everything is pushed, pinched, pulled, snatched, all that. So the, and then the way contouring works is like, it's not like literal magic. You're going to see well, the illusion in particular lighting. So what we notice, but while watching this is it appears that the film has like a filter on it. Uh -huh. Not unlike when I'm at home watching movies and I get on Snapchat and I'll put filters on the actors as I'm watching the movie. Mm -hmm. And there are several moments where you can see that the filter kind of like lapsed and went on someone else. It's very distracting. Uh -huh. So the look of the film is jarring. The queens look jarring. I think because of the lighting and the filter that's used, a lot of the queens' makeup looks really ashy and green at times. James looks like Night of the Living Dead. Sometimes. Yeah, they look like they have like liver failure and not all of the queens are wearing body makeup so it, so it's like their heads don't match their bodies or like especially the queens with little melanin like paint their faces much lighter and then their hands look much darker it, it just looks i thought the bit with kelly mantle was funny yeah yeah um but then you were talking about the Christmas time in Tuckahoe song. That was, Ugh. that's the first like musical number we get. And that was. Kylie rough. Sonique love bringing back her Dolly Parton thing. I, 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 oh, I hated it. I hate like it, if it was a scab, I could pull off and I, 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 oh, I <laughs> if I had to, whatever I'd had to do to stop it. I just, I, when we first uh, meet Mayor Kunt, Anna Maria Horsford, who I really like. I like her too, but I don't think she's very good in this. No, I mean, she definitely handles her dialogue better than the queens do, but it's just, 
it's just ridiculous. But anyway, when we first meet her, she comes out of City Hall. And what does she do? A backflip. <laughs> it just feels like... Well, she's also a... Con- like, her character's contradictory nonsense. You know what this movie feels like? MTV or Viacom or whomever said to World of Wonder, like, we'll, we'll produce or buy a Christmas movie starring RuPaul. Like, it has to have RuPaul in it. It has to have the queens. And it corresponded with that season and I think that holiday thing that came out. So we'll give you whatever, two, three million dollars to do it. And here's the brief. You only get RuPaul for a day. Like, it has to be stupid. Like, it it just feels like it's trying really hard to not make sense. That it just gets tiresome. Like... (laughs) Yeah, I you know not along the lines of not unlike something like Hurricane Bianca. It's like, God, that it's like this could have been good if a little more care had been taken. Uh, I, I don't know, and, and you know, Rue. What by the time he's climbing up that Christmas tree with uh, Olivia, his hair, his wig, and that looks just like a Chucky doll wig. If you look at that. Sorry, the cat attacked me. Hold on. <laughs> Yeah, RuPaul. It looks like a Chucky doll wig. Look like, yeah. Or we have a friend who did Chucky for Halloween this year. Mm-hmm. And do you remember his pictures? Yes. <laughs> he looked like that. He looked insane. Yes. It's safe. Very but good. it was fun for Halloween for him. Um, we have to talk about pork chop. Because you know, Ru loves pork chop. For people who don't know, pork chop is a drag queen who was on the very first season of RuPaul's Drag Race and was the very first person to go home. Yes. And ever since then, every season of Drag Race, RuPaul shouts out pork chop in some way. So clearly RuPaul, I, I think, has an appreciation for Porkchop and uh-huh. has him in this movie playing an old man who owns the bank where the crown is being stored. And I was, I'm sure Porkchop was very happy to get the offer, but I just can't believe how crazy he looked. Like they couldn't. Well, he's out of drag. Because he's out yeah. of drag. And, <laughs> and he's apparently married to uh James Mansfield's character, but is having an affair with Anna Maria Horsford. That was... (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. There's a moment. So Olivia, the the reporter who's incognito as Maggie Zine, she's wearing a horrible wig. Who did I say she looked like? A mix between Brittany Murphy and somebody else I don't like. But when she gets exposed at the end, that co- which causes the team, her team to be disqualified, she takes off her wig to like tell the truth. And someone in the crowd yelled, that was a wig? <laughs> that truly made me laugh. <laughs> okay, Latrice Royale. La- She's this- like giving uh, Charles Dickinson's uh, Christmas Carol vibes. Yes, so she's basically like the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future to, t- to show someone the air of their ways but olivia ends up getting mixed up with the person who should do it so latrice is like well whatever i will um help you out but is when latrice came on the screen do the sound you made when she came on the screen oh i don't remember you did the fat albert <laughs> i did oh i'm sorry hey 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 hey, hey. it was La- just instinctual i'm sorry <laughs> latrice was dripping with sweat immediately like like whitney Houston, not even whitney houston level it was um oh god what's her name De- De- deborah wilson doing whitney houston on mad tv <laughs> it was that bad yes he looks so uncomfortable 
there was some music playing in this movie that you recognized. I, oh, yes, uh, from the Cannes Film. It's what introduces every Cannes Film Festival film. It's from that piece of music, uh, Les Carnival des Animaux, The Carnival of Animals. Okay, the final, like the like the seventh category, the final night of the ball, the the teams have to do a song. So the the opposing team does a song that I don't even remember. And then the broads do a song. It took me halfway through their performance to realize they were mimicking the Spice Girls. Yes, it, it's not immediately apparent. Mm-hmm. But the, the song had lyrics that I thought were really funny. And one set of lyrics was, you can't build a snowman all on your own. Santa can't slay without his ho, ho, hoes. <laughs> and then... There's another line that says, you can't spell Christmas without G-I-R-L. Yeah, they say <laughs> Which that. Which made me think times. of Jerry Blank. Yeah, B-I-C-T-O-R-Y, Jerry. What does that spell? Fandango. <laughs> Hobo camp. I thought that was funny. Uh, yeah, again, that kind of humor can work. It just, I just, I didn't like this film. I, you know, when it came out two, three years ago, whatever, I really wanted to see it. I guess it was two years ago. I really wanted to see it, but like we had access to VH1 through cable, but I guess the subscription we were using didn't give us access Uh to the movie, which was frustrating. And then I recall trying again later, like after Christmas, and I still couldn't watch it. So I was happy to see it was available now through Paramount. So that's how we watched it. But yeah, I'm, I, I guess I'm extra disappointed because I really wanted to watch it when it came out and to think that I waited two years and it's, it, it really does feel like an acting challenge on RuPaul's Drag Race that went on for 80 minutes too long. Well, it's just, <laughs> I think it's a reminder of, I, and I do enjoy watching RuPaul's Drag Race for the most part, but it's just like this endless spectacle where there's a clear glass ceiling that no one can really get away from even the ones that are wildly successful it's of which there are only a a small handful it's it's not really um uh, it's not rupaul's it's rupaul's school for drag queens i don't know i think the only way we're ever going to see a queen do something that gets like critical acclaim is it will have to be a, like a serious drama and it will have to be about a drag queen. So we see them in and out of drag. We see them in situations. And it can't be RuPaul. It definitely can't be RuPaul. But, um, it, and then of course it would have to be a queen who um, has some acting ability. In fact, we watched a movie with Kelly Mantle and Alaska Thunderfuck. I didn't like it, but it was okay. I didn't like, like it, but I thought Kelly Mantle was actually quite good. But, and I also think it can't be like, you know, 30 drag queens in one movie where they no. all get like one silly line. Cause when you put it all together, it's just like, Oh, this is grading. It needs to be about a couple or like a trio of drag queens who are trying to do something. And there, there's heartbreak and hardships and triumph. And I, I would enjoy a movie like that, that has a budget and, and they don't need to be RuPaul's drag race Queens. They could be actual like talented actors who can do drag. <laughs> yeah, and some of them can. I mean, you know, well, you never saw Bradley Cooper's Stars Born, which features several, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, it feels like some big break still needs to happen, and it's not in a WoW Presents WoW presents presentation. No. What would you give The Bitch Who Stole Christmas? I'm being very nice and saying two. We didn't even talk about The Shirtless Man. Oh my God, there's a side plot with 
the sheriff of the Tuckahoe, who's also the mayor's bodyguard, this Whose very wife hunky, died in the clock tower. Yeah, he has some weird story, but he's this very hunky man. And his only character trait is that every scene he's in, for some reason, his shirt gets removed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, Andy Ridings as Big Russ. But um, what would you give this? <sighs> I think I'm being nice by saying two out of five. It's it's not good, and I think it's grading. I could see. I, I mean, I just don't even know if I were in a good mood and like drinking. I don't think I would find it to be that tolerable. Mm-hmm. Sorry to these people. I do I'm love. Not, I, like I do love uh, the art of drag, though. Yeah, but uh, that's okay. That's two different things. All right. Uh, what's there's some stuff. What, what what are we doing next week? What's happening? Well, we need to watch this new Isabelle Luper film. Okay. Yep. We got to do that. Wow. And then we have several videos dropping next week. The Zone of Interest, American Fiction, Wonka. Ugh. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then I think on Wednesday, I'm going to see they're having a one night only screening of Fanny and Alexander, the Ingmar Bergman classic I've never seen. Oh, well, please enjoy that. <laughs> Are you reading anything? I'm reading Marnie. Uh, that's uh, Winston Graham is the author from the early 60s, which Hitchcock turned into the famous Tippi Hedren, Sean Connery film that was originally supposed to be Princess Grace of Monaco, but she was already princess and uh, it would be, it would have been improper to her to, for her to continue her acting career. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no, no, it's just been a long, long week. All right. Well, we're glad you're still with us. Same. Ta-ta. Room, room, bitches.